0: Okay, we've got Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, joining us here. Uh, Fish, how's everything going, man? Hoosiers took it on the chin, came up close, like just short. Furious comeback against Penn State. And we'll get to where they are in the tournament, the the big dance. But uh, what did you think about how they fared in the Big Ten tournament, for starters?
1: Well, they certainly had a good win over Maryland, no question uh, there. And then, of course, against Penn State, they got themselves in a hole, didn't play execution-wise offensively very well until late in the ball game when they forced some turnovers with the full-court press in the last two minutes and got the ballgame down to a point or so and couldn't finish. So uh, it, they got knocked out of that event, which obviously was disappointing. You know, had they won, they would have played for doing the championship ballgame, I think, which was at it everybody was hoping for but it didn't happen but i guess the good news from this whole thing is that indiana got knocked out a day earlier than expected and now they've had they will have about six days to prepare for their first game in the ncaa tournament
2: don i agree with the sentiment or the thought that penn state's a bad matchup for indiana i know that they present a lot of problems to the hoosiers they showed it in the regular season and they showed it during the semifinal. But my bigger concern—I want to get your thoughts on this as well—is if the recipe, and it's all about matchups. But if the recipe is double and triple Trace Jackson Davis and dare Indiana to shoot or to bail out the offense, I, Don, I started doing what you were doing, yelling at Miller and Trey Galloway to shoot. I kept imagining like I was you past them in the hallway. Is 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 that the recipe now? And if it is, Indiana is not a high volume shooting team, but they. They have a good percentage from three. Right. Is this something they can manufacture themselves out of to, to fix that problem of when it's all, let's just camp the lane and dare you to shoot us out of this from beyond the arc?
1: Well, I, I think I, I do think that this team's capable of doing that. The question is, will they? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Miller, Cop, Miller Cop was reticent to take shots in that Penn State ball game. Yep. I think he just shot three threes in that game. He missed them all, which I don't care. Take him. Yeah, um, it, it, he's the best shooter on this basketball team. Consistently good. Uh, he was zero for three in that ball game. He should have been zero for six if it was my 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 on it because <laughs> I still think he's got to shoot. He's yeah. got to shoot it when it's there. And he had at least three other shots he turned down. Uh, he did score six points in the ball game, but they were all on drives. Uh, or uh, short jump shots. So there's no question he's got to take more shots, in my opinion, especially in a game like that. And likewise, Trey Galloway, and Trey shot five times in the game. He missed all three of the threes that he put up. I still think he is tired. I just think he is out of gas a little bit in the sense that his legs haven't come back to him. Uh, He gives up so much in the energy department with how hard he plays at both ends of the floor. I do think he's the hardest working player in this basketball team, uh, in my mind. And I think the six days that they have to get ready for this ball game against Kent State will really help him because I think he'll be able to get back his legs and he'll be ready to go. But I still want him to shoot more than he does because I think he's very capable outside. And that's going to be a real key recipe as far as Indiana is concerned, in my opinion, if they're going to go very far in this tournament.
0: He's Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, with us here on The Fan. This might sound like a second guess, but I'm really just curious what you think, Don, is Jalen hood shafino when IU was trailing by three, this furious rally, he shot a three, didn't go in. It was a good look, but what did you think about when the shot was in the air? Did you think, okay, that's the... The right way to go, or did you want to see him try to go for a quick two and put more pressure on Penn State?
1: Well, you know, I didn't. I haven't even thought about that play. To be quite honest with you, <laughs> I'm just. And, and the reason I didn't is because I think the pressure that Indiana put on to get themselves back in the game came too late. I thought was that was the determining factor in the game. I thought they needed to do that maybe four minutes to go in the contest, start really putting pressure on Penn State. Because they did turn them over, it was they were capable of doing that. So, from my perspective, that was if there was a mistake made, uh, it would have been in the sense that they just didn't go into that full court press soon enough uh, to give Penn State more problems.
2: Don, I, I know that you and I don't delve into x's and o's for a number of different reasons. So I. I... Ask you more primarily on because primarily
1: because I don't know anything about <laughs> it right. Actually, no, right,
2: right? <laughs> I, I, your words, not mine, Don. i, I but, but but you are always <laughs> honest about that, and I appreciate that. But you but you talk to everybody, you talk to Coach Woodson and the staff obviously a, a weekly with inside Indiana basketball, but obviously over the course of the season as well. So, I ask this from just conversations with them or conversation with the players is it a confidence thing when you go over 3? I mean, I know that's tough, but at the same time. That's why you have, to your point, a guy like Miller Cop out there is you want him to shoot the ball. You want him to have that confidence, and it's tough, even as a, an 18- to 23-year-old, to hold that over the course of a season. But but is it a confidence thing?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know, to be honest with you. I do think that that has something to do with it. I, I don't think in Trey's case, in Galloway's case, that it is a confidence thing. This guy has shown yep. me through practices, uh, through pregame warm-ups, he knocks down three after three after three. I believe he, need, he believes he can shoot the basketball. What I don't know is if he, if he wants to go into a ball game with that mindset because he relies more on his game skills or on his skills to get the ball where it needs to go, whether it needs to get there through his rush down to the baseline or to the next pass, whatever the case may be. I still think he's trying to play maybe a combination of two roles with this team right now. Part of it is a defensive stopper, especially against their best score outside. And then on the other side of it, I think he tries to, you know, so to speak, let Jalen Hood-Shifino be the point guard. But he still can facilitate things by getting the ball where it needs to go, make the pass that helps get the ball to the next le- to the next position. And, I, again, I, I, I can't answer that because the players would have to answer yeah. that question for you. And most of them would probably say, oh, I'm confident in my <laughs> shot. But... Well, then show it, please. Right. Please.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Fish, what do you think about the draw of IU here? Up first, Kent State. Do you peek beyond that and think, maybe Miami in the second round? Oh, look at Houston as the one seed. Marcus Sasser is a little bit banged up. Like, is it all about Kent State right now for you? Or do you peek beyond that in the bracket? Well, I, I I try not
1: to, but I, I can still see where, in the end, if they win the ballgame against Kent State, they've got to play a really good Miami team or a Drake team, both of which have had great seasons. Uh, and then down that road, if you want to go to the next level, it's Iowa, possibly. <laughs> Although Houston and Northern Kentucky, Iowa and Auburn are all those, those four teams will be battling it out to get to that next one. So, honestly, it's hard to judge this thing in the sense of, What's going to happen past the, the first ball game right now? I, I do think Indiana is going to beat Kent State. I think they're a, a, a ball club that has had, by far and away, much tougher competition than what Kent State has played this year. But the fact remains that Kent State, their strength is their defensive end of the floor. And if they can shut down Indiana shooters, we just talked about that, and if they can keep Indiana from uh, – uh, Trace Jackson Davis from becoming a double-double machine again – Um, that'll be the key in the ball game. But I I honestly believe Indiana's good enough to win this first game. I think they're good enough to go uh, deep into this tournament, certainly get to the Sweet 16. To get beyond that point, they have to play a lot better than they have up to this juncture on a consistent basis.
2: Voice the Hoosiers' Don Fisher, nice enough to take some time with us. Don, I'm curious when the the bracket is announced and when – it's revealed that Indiana's playing Kent State. A, a number of different storylines you can go with there. Obviously, a lot is going to be made of of Rob Senderoff and, and Kent State and, and, and his history with Indiana, and also be brought up the fact that these teams have history in the NCAA tournament, of course, uh, battling back and forth in consecutive years. Uh, what, if anything, jumped out at you in terms of, of those storylines going in once you found out it was going to be Kent State as the opponent?
1: Well the first thing that popped into my mind was the fact that Kent State took Indiana out in San Diego back in 2000, 2001 and then the next year in the, or uh, the next year Indiana came back and knocked them out of the tournament yep. uh, with that great run that they had at the end of the 2002 season getting into the championship game uh in which they faced uh, uh <laughs> They faced a really good Maryland ball club, but they knocked out Calvin Sampson the game before that. It was really cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, What do you think, man? Where is Indiana? We had some sound of Mike Woodson. It was great at the top of the show where he's like, I don't know that much about Kent State. I'm going to dive in and learn all I need to learn. But not just about Kent State, but where IU is heading into the tournament we've talked about them being jekyll and hyde throughout this season do you have a firm sense of where iu is just themselves heading into tournament play don
1: i think i think i thought it was a very tired basketball team at the end of the season uh, i thought i thought they they really needed more time to get their legs i thought they had enough time to to play in the big 10 tournament to, uh, in that regard but again, they haven't had any consistency here in the last five, six weeks of the season. They've been going win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, win, and then loss again. I mean, uh, it's a ball club right now that's a little bit of a mystery in that regard. Can they become consistent enough to make a deep run of the NCAA tournament? Uh, and we'll find out. But I do think that the, the, the fact that they got beat on Saturday... Now they've had what basically they're going to have six days to get ready for Kent State. I think that helps them immensely from a fatigue standpoint.
0: There you go. Well, hey, Fish, always appreciate your time, man. And uh, hopefully we'll see a deep run from the Hoosiers here in tournament action.
1: Well, I kind of like to see a deep run by all the Big Ten for a change. Well, yes. There you go. Have, every, have not too many teams get knocked out in the first, second round, so then you only got, wait, one or two left in the Sweet 16, and they get knocked out. Let's stop that stuff.
0: Amen. That sounds good. We could sign up for that, too. <laughs> but hope you have a great day, Fish. We'll catch you soon, man. Thank you, Don. Thanks for having me, guys. See ya. There he is, Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers. It's Brian Ngo and Jimmy Cook with you here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Boog Shambi, ESPN commentator, joining us on the show here today. Boog, I don't know that uh, anybody has wished you a happy legal tampering period day, but let me be the first. Uh, with the NFL, Happy Legal Tampering Period Day is that not that's just right. a, yeah? Is that that's not like perfect. the caffeine you needed to just perk you up today or what? Absolutely, that, that's
3: exactly where I need to be
0: right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, we're gonna focus in on hoops to begin this discussion. You were just calling the Big 12 tournament. Uh, you're looking at the NCAA tournament draw. Like, What do you think about the bracket in general? Is there a team that you like to possibly cut down the nets and win the whole thing?
3: Not really. I think that there, I, I don't think that there's one super team. Um, I think it's more and more challenging because the, you know, the power five schools, I think have more of an advantage now because of the transfer portal. And, You know the advantage that the mid majors, at least to me, used to have is that they would have experienced players going up against, you know, some of the more talented, less experienced players in the in the high majors. Well, now all those kids are transferring to, you know, to power conference teams, and I I think that among the power conference teams, it's probably a a bit more spread out. So, I you know, look, I I had Kansas and Baylor, you know, in the Big Twelve each of the last couple of seasons I didn't think when I watched Kansas win the big 12 last year that they were a team that was going to win the national title so it's it's always really hard for me to figure like I think Purdue's got a really good team um, I think that Kansas is still capable of it but I, I I'm I'm not sure I don't I don't have a strong conviction about any specific team I really don't
2: Boog, it's Jimmy. We've talked about all year the, the toughness of the Big 12, and it's been viewed by many as, as the toughest, or I would say the biggest gauntlet conference this year. Going through that week to week and then consuming the Big 12 tournament, being on the call over this past weekend, anything surprise you from how everything played out? Obviously, Bill Self being home and discharged of uh, from the hospital is something that we'll get into as well, but just from on the court, from Texas winning it all, any storylines that played out surprise you in the Big 12 tournament?
3: I was surprised that Texas dumped them like that. I didn't. I, I didn't love Texas's chances to be honest going into that game. So um, I was surprised that Texas just dumped them and they. And the thing they did was that they really suffocated them with defense. Like to me, the bigger story in that game was that Kansas just could not get baskets. Um, and you know when you're when you're talking about the last two times Texas played Kansas, Kansas was held to under sixty, I believe, or right at sixty. So, uh, you know that that surprised me. Um, you know, I guess I, I thought Baylor would go another round, but I I would say that it was Texas thumping Kansas in the final. Not just that they beat them, but that they they beat them and controlled it and, and made it pretty clear.
0: Uh, when you look at the one seeds, Boog, who's the one seed, whether it's Purdue, they, they've got Zach Eady, but the outside shooting leaves a lot to be desired. Houston, they got a lot of talent, but Marcus Sasser being banged up. Uh, Kansas, getting Bill Self back. Like Of all the one seeds, which is the one team where you're most skeptical of in terms of making a deep, deep run?
2: I don't
3: – I mean, most skeptical, I like, I think with Sasser – Getting hurt, and then I don't know that I thought that that Houston was the one seed. And like, there are some good teams in that bracket. Like, I think you know, at, at some point, um, I think they could score off with Miami. I think Miami's a really good team. Like, I think Miami could could take out of Houston. So, I, I, I guess that's what I would lean towards them. And and obviously, um, you know, there's still talent there, but I that's probably the team that I'm that I question a tiny bit.
2: Boog Shambi of ESPN as well as the voice of the Chicago Cubs on the Marquee Network. Nice stuff to make some time with us. Boog, From a, just to jump back to the Big 12 for just a second, when you look at the matchups that everybody got from a draw perspective, you look at Kansas as the number one seed and you look at their path, how do you feel about the Jayhawks in a potential matchup with Arkansas and Illinois? And is it as simple as the conference fatigue a lot of games in a number of days this rest will be good for them hopefully get coach self back assuming he's able to from a health standpoint he's got to be okay on that front first Uh, where are your takeaways on the jayhawks as uh, a threat in march we lost boog we'll get boog back in a second but that's the most fascinating thing to me brian as as, as eddie tries to get him back because you look at kansas there is a You know, always, the oh, how much does coaching matter? Bill Self matters to a program like Kansas, but also their legs and how tired they did look against Texas matters by the time you get to the second
0: round, in my mind. I think the only timing that would have been better, Jimmy, is if you asked an IU question, like, Hey, Boog, what do you think about IU's chances of going far in this tournament? It's just... Well, yeah. Boog doesn't want to
2: talk about the Big Ten he's right to to hang up on me if that was the question but no in all seriousness uh, connection issues happen we got we got Boogie Man back uh, so Boog just uh, to kind of reiterate that Kansas their draw hopefully yeah. getting Bill Self back your thoughts overall on the Jayhawks
3: well I look I think the one thing that happens in that conference is it's just such a slog especially um, you know on the road but I, I think these teams just they get to a place where um you know in some of the years in the big Ten it's it's like this as well where they just know each other so well they know exactly what they're gonna do they know all the plays that they're gonna run and I think that that these teams find some freedom in getting out of uh the conference so i I like their team I think that you know for for Kansas at you know what you know, if you're watching them play, the thing you eyeball is Jalen Wilson is a really good player, um, but the games where it's just him, they usually don't win. So he's going to need support from Brady Dick, obviously. But, you know, I think one Harris, he's a guy that I'd like to see him shoot a little bit more, especially when he gets some open looks from three. Besides Grady Dick, they don't have – you know, much shooting to speak of Wilson shoots it at about a uh, NCA average 34 ish percent. So, you know, Dick's the one guy you got to honor from the three point line, but otherwise, you know, you got to make everybody else beat you. I like their team. They still, you know, when Wilson's three, isn't going down, then he just barrels his way to the basket and gets fouled. And most of the time, you know, he's making his free throws. He shoots in the mid seventies and you know, he's a load, so sometimes it's it's an and-one situation. So I, I like their team. I think that, you know, if they went on another run and went deep in the tournament, that would not floor me.
0: You know, Boog, I'm always interested in conference success within the NCAA tournament, where you're covering the Big 12 closely. It's been a gauntlet this season, as you well know. If you look at another conference like the ACC, there are a lot of people saying the ACC stinks this year. Do you expect things to generally transition from the regular season to tournament success or a lack thereof, conference by conference?
3: I, so I, I don't think that this is – look, let's start with this. You can't – all of these teams are losing in single elimination settings. That is not mm-hmm. going to be the best way to determine – uh, who the best league is, so I don't think that, you know, necessarily what's left in the. I think is gonna t- is definitely telling you what the best conference is. I would also say matchup bracket that type of thing factors in as well. So whereas I think the Big Twelve is the best conference this year, I, I don't necessarily think it means that they'll get the most teams to the Sweet Sixteen or. You know, the the most teams deepest in the tournament, it's just sort of, um, I, I, I think that it could, they're still in the NCAA tournament. They're still, because of single elimination, I still think you're going to get a, a certain amount of randomness.
2: Boog, I know the Big 12 and working with Fran is a lot of your year in the college basketball ranking, so I preface the question that way. When you look at kind of zooming out, big picture at the field of 64 whether it's maybe some non-conference matchups you were a part of whether it's just visually what you took in from consuming college basketball at the rate you do during the season um who's another team outside of the big 12 that, that you're really intrigued to see how their path through march goes or maybe you really like their draw
3: i mentioned miami i think miami's got a good team you know and they're in a spot where you know not think what they are five yep. and then I, you know, again, you know, you guys touched on it, and you, you know, you you guys get to to see Purdue a ton, but you know, Edie's a handful, man. And if they are knocking down outside shots, um, I think they got a really good coach. Um, I, you know, it's certainly if you told me right now that Purdue's going to win it all, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye at that. That's for that's for sure. But I think right now we're looking at a really wide open um, NCAA tournament. I do.
0: You know, Boog, with uh, baseball, the MLB season right around the corner. Um, how do you feel about these these changes, right, with the the pitching clock and everything else that's going on? Are you a fan, or are you just like oh, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to? Yeah you're, yeah, you're with it. I mean, I
3: think you got to move it along. I mean, I think it's it's necessary, and and it will yield a better a better product. You know, look, it's it's what's been happening on the field the last few years is a problem. I think that the players today are better than they've ever been and it has not been yielding the best product. So you've got it, which makes no sense. So they had to do some stuff to to get more pace into the game. Um, I like it Uh, so far from what I've seen. I think that it works. It's not just about making the game shorter. It's that it's just got to feel like there's more happening more quickly. Um, I think that's a that's a big part especially trying to to pull in younger viewers younger attendees it's you know with short attention span theater in the world these days i think you've got to deliver a product that's got to feel like it's moving at least a tiny bit more i don't love the shift restriction from the standpoint um I, just at a basic level, I don't like the idea that it feels like it's penalizing smart. It's like mm. this guy hits the ball here, and you're not a of, allowed to put the defenders there. I don't see a lot of difference between this guy can't hit a slider, and now you're not allowed to throw him a slider. <laughs> yeah. That said, fans don't like the shift, and I, I'm I'm good with with changing it. Also, there'll still be shifts. You know, I mean, the shortstop still is going to be just to the left of the second base bag, so that line drive up the middle that used to be a base hit um, is still going to be an out. It's going to be those balls. It's mainly going to affect the left-handed hitters that pull the ball. Uh, I think that they're going to see a few more singles. But the clock is the thing that I think is going to impact games more than anything, and I I think that that's going to be a real positive.
2: Boog, MLB.com citing a number of different um, you know simulators or, or or stat machines to kind of project out things. Number of Cubs fans, of course, here in Indiana. I think like 78, 77 wins is, is where I've seen some of like fan graphs, stuff like that from MLB.com. Uh, where do you view this Cubs ball club heading into the 2023 season?
3: I, I think that they'll be better. I think run prevention is going to be the anchor. I think that There will be times where they will struggle to score. I'm optimistic that they'll be one of the better defensive teams in the National League, if not all of baseball. And then I also would say, um, I I think that it's a division that is not particularly uh, rough. So I, I, I think that there's an opportunity to get off to a good start. So I understand where the where the projections are, but I would still say, you know, when you're you're looking at a team that last year won 74 games, you know, the year before won 71. I, I think that if they can find themselves getting off to the type of start where, you know, you're playing over 500, you know, remember, guys, with this many teams getting into the playoffs, if you're projecting at the all-star break as an 84 win team, that means you're projecting as a chance to make the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? Like not in the playoffs, but if you're, if you're being projected as an 84 win team halfway through the season, um, then, you know, they're saying you have a chance to, to be playing meaningful games in September. I think that's what people want.
0: He's Boog Shambhi, ESPN commentator, voice of the Cubs. Can watch and hear him on Marquee Network. Really appreciate the time, Boog. Fun, uh, fun stuff. Hope you have a great rest of the day, man.
3: All right, you guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Boog. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Boog Shambie. You know, I here's I got a question for you, Jimmy. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on the fan. Want to welcome in Stephen Holder, covers the Colts for ESPN. You know, Steve, I guess the Colts, they lost out on the Jimmy G sweepstakes over there as he's going over there to the Raiders. But all, all joking aside, uh, the the Colts, they probably need a veteran quarterback, assuming they're going to take a, a rookie QB in the draft. Is there a veteran quarterback that makes the most sense in your mind for the Colts to target?
4: Well, I, I'll start by saying I do agree. They do need a, a veteran quarterback. I I think the problem is it's a really bad year to need one. It's yeah. not great out there. Um, I I guess we got to kind of see who is really available when the dust settles. I've kind of wondered about a guy like Jameis Winston, not because I love Jameis Winston, but just because uh, he was someone they had interest in last year. And he might be available. I think the last I heard, he was considering a pay cut in New Orleans, but I don't know where that stands. But anyhow, um, I think we need to see who is left standing once these dominoes start to fall, right? So Aaron Rodgers, that domino still has to fall because we don't know what the hell Aaron Rodgers is doing. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to see, obviously, the, the Garoppolo deal needs to come to fruition and then... You know, see if dominoes fall there. So it, we just don't know yet. I I think we will have to wait a little bit longer to see what the Colts do at quarterback. But you're not wrong. They have to, in my opinion, get a veteran quarterback. And I just can't see them sticking with Matt Ryan. Just it doesn't make sense financially to be a, in any in any possible way, in my estimation.
2: Steven, you, like the rest of us, were reacting when the Panthers traded up with the Bears on Friday afternoon. Maybe I'm in the minority on this, but I'm one of the people that look at what was given up to move up to one, and I don't think it's that astronomical in terms of price value. Your initial reaction when that move happened and the fact that we're not going to know until if Ballard ever shares after the draft how close they were if they were involved at all, but your initial reaction to that trade happening and when you see the price that was given up by Carolina.
4: So I guess I'm in the minority too, because I agree with you. I don't think the price was so ridiculous. I, I think you got to look at it from the standpoint of number nine. I think that's where they were from number nine to first overall, that is a long way to go. Okay. A long way. And when you're moving that dramatically, uh, you are, you're making a move that is going to be seismic for your organization, at least if you get it right. So, I don't think it was really that astronomical. I mean, DJ Moore is a good player. They're going to miss him, and and that's going to hurt whatever quarterback they end up drafting. Obviously, that he could have used DJ Moore certainly, but I think the I guess the two first. I mean, once you're coming from that part of the draft, I mean, the two firsts are automatic. Now, if the Colts coming from number four, if they would have made a deal that involved two first round picks, that would have maybe not sat well with me. I thought if the Colts were gonna do it, I would be in favor of them doing it if it were a first rounder and maybe a future second, et cetera. But I couldn't see them doing the two ones. That wouldn't have felt really good in, in, in my eyes. But I think for the Panthers given where they were, I think it's fine. Um you know look the the Colts I really think there's a possibility here and this is not a new take, but I really think there's a possibility that they just don't see that much difference between Mm -hmm. the quarterbacks where they could justify making a huge leap to number one, whatever the asking price was. And if that's the case, if you don't, if you don't see a lot of separation between them, then don't make the move. I have no problem with that. I I do think though, they have left themselves kind of at the mercy of the draft board. And and that is just kind of a a disconcerting place
0: to be. Uh, What do you think then as a a follow-up to that, the ripple effect where Carolina moves up to one, do you see the Colts, standing pad at four? Or could you see them potentially moving up to three where they would at least have some say in having no worse than the the third uh, top quarterback prospect?
4: Uh, Yeah, I guess it it, it depends on a couple of things. You know, do you have a gut feeling that someone's coming for that third pick, right? I mean, and Mm -hmm. if you do, you may have to be aggressive there. I don't think that'll cost you that much. Um, I'm not, I'd have to look at, you know, some of the, the portrayals of of the chart to see the different versions, I guess, of the chart to see, you know, what that might cost, but it, it won't be that much, right? I mean, it's it would be it would be doable, and and I think the peace of mind going to number three would be huge because they just don't have a lot of peace of mind right now, <laughs> you know. I, I think they know they're going to get a quarterback, but they really have no control over who it is right now. So anyway, I, I do think that you know certainly this this Garoppolo deal is interesting, right? Because You know, they were, the Raiders, they were a team that I thought could jump up there. Uh, They now are invested in in Garoppolo to the tune of, I believe, $34 million guaranteed. I I don't know that they're going to trade up on top of that and go get a a quarterback who's going to sit for a year or two behind a guy who's making serious money. So I don't think that's their plan. It doesn't feel like it's their plan. Um, The Falcons? uh, You know, I don't know. I I don't see that either. So I don't think there's really as many teams that have both the want and the ammunition to get all the way up to number three. So the Colts might be in good shape. Uh, The the Seahawks, by the way, the other team to consider. But, you know, re-signing Geno Smith, I mean, to to me, I think they they don't really have as much incentive either. So I think they're – it's possible they're okay. It really is possible that the Colts will be okay.
2: ESPN, Stephen Holder, nice enough to take some time with us here in the drive. com studios. Stephen, you mentioned that, and Brian has mentioned this point as well, that maybe Chris Ballard is of the mindset that there's no QB in this draft that's worth trading up for. We're going to let the board as how it may. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but with all that's continued to be made up of what kind of pressure is on Chris Bauer to get the quarterback right, the fan base is tired of losing seasons or tired of expectations of, oh, let's make the playoff once every five years and then get bounced out in the first round. Is there more cushion than we maybe initially thought on Bauer in terms of this isn't just a one year, you have to get it right now. This is a, a new lease on life for him with a new coaching staff in there.
4: Well, look, I'll give you my assessment and and I lean a little more to that side of the spectrum. I do not think that he is necessarily standing here under the gun this year because it's a transitional year. Whether whether fans want to see it that way, it doesn't matter. It's a transitional <laughs> year. I'm here to tell you because you've got a new coach, you're going to have a new quarterback. It's going to be a, a different kind of season and really success For the Colts in 2023, I don't think it's really defined by winning 10 or 12 games or whatever you want, whatever number you want to put on it, right? I really think it boils down to is there progress at the quarterback position and is the trajectory of the team different? If those two things happen, then I think Chris Ballard can perhaps uh, sleep well at night after this season because that's really where the bar is. I mean, I don't think the the goal is the playoffs. I, I don't. If, if they make it, great. But, like, I don't think the Colts are necessarily looking at this uh, from a, the standpoint of being a contender or anything like that. And, frankly, this might be a good thing in the long term. Part of the problem here, and I understand why, but part of the problem is the Colts, I think, have overestimated their their outlook the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I did, too. Like, I was I was guilty of that, too, okay? But at the same time, I don't run the team. <laughs> and And I also felt victim to the same things they did, which is, all right, we have all this talent. uh, We're just a quarterback away. But, you know, the teams that tell themselves they're just a quarterback away, that doesn't mean just any quarterback. And I think we learned that lesson. That doesn't mean you're a Carson Wentz away or you're a Matt Ryan away. And for as much as we like to convince ourselves of these things, they're, they're usually not true. And I think there's a lot of evidence about that or of that around the NFL. So what we learned is, Let's maybe take a pause on, on talking about or what are they gonna achieve this year and, and maybe get the foundation right. I know that doesn't maybe, you know, sound appealing to to players like Stephon Gilmore and you know DeForest Buckner who are either at the end of their career or in the primes of their career, but that's kind of where the franchise is.
0: He's Stephen Holder, covers the Colts for ESPN, joins us here on the fan. So while we're talking QBs, might as well mention Lamar Jackson. There are some, yeah. you have know, mock drafts and prognosticators out there that say, "Hey, the Colts just got leapfrogged. They make a, an aggressive move. They get Lamar Jackson. What do you think the chances are of something like that happening?"
4: Well, first I'll say it. It makes a lot of sense. The argument makes a lot of sense, right? I understand it from a from a you know prediction standpoint, but it. It, the, the reality is, I think, the way the Colts operate and, and the, the specifics of their finances, which are important here, I don't project that that's something they would do. And a couple of things. Number one, I mean, there is already a hesitation because people are, are somewhat, or they have this trepidation because they don't want to talk about a guaranteed deal with Lamar Jackson. That is not a, a, a precedent they want to continue setting, right? We know about that. But, even beyond that, I still think there's some, there's some uh, value in at least picking up the phone and talking to them and saying, hey, well, what would you settle for, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you don't know that because you haven't talked to them. any team that I know of. So I would like to see at least a couple teams do that and say, hey, okay, maybe we don't guarantee the whole thing, but let's talk about how we, how we can structure a deal. Now, so why wouldn't the Colts do that? Well, number one, I just think the, the guaranteed upfront money is going to be out of the range that they are comfortable with. Now, I'm not saying they should or shouldn't do it. I, I think it would be a, a beneficial move for them. I think you could argue this would be um, the biggest shift in the franchise in a long time if they did something like that. The problem is the way they structure their finances, they are very much year to year as much as possible you know, with their commitments. Well, if you go – and sign Lamar Jackson, down, now you are you are locked into huge sums of guaranteed money for many years to come. Now that's what it takes and that's fine. But again, that, from a philosophical standpoint, that's not something the Colts like to do. Out uh, they're a small market team, that's a part of it. And they can't generate those big sums of money that are outside of the revenue sharing structure that you can just pocket. You know, the the Patriots can do that. The the Cowboys can do it. Um, the 49ers can do it. Right? Big market teams, big money, lots of rich people in those markets. Uh, that's that's a lot tougher here, and I think that is a factor. I'm not saying they can't do it, but it makes it tougher to do it.
2: Steven, you mentioned the fact that perhaps the Colts don't value a lot of difference between these quarterbacks. I, I really liked Bryce Young. I really liked C.J. Stroud. I would have liked to have seen the Colts move up. They don't do that. Now they're at four. Let's say for the sake of argument, it's Levis or Richardson there, or the other two doors you go down, taking the best player available, like a Will Anderson Jr., like a Jalen Carter, or you trade back and you let things play out differently and gain more draft capital or drain another piece. I guess two parts. What would you do, and what do you ultimately think is going to be the deciding factor for the Colts with what they'll do?
4: Well, I think the if you're left with those two quarterbacks outside of well, let me put it this way: If if C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are gone, right, in whatever order, uh, then I think it's it perhaps is a choice between Anthony Richardson and Levis, as you said. I, I think the higher upside player there is Richardson. I, I just I really think that there is a limitless upside there. Now you could strike out. It, this could be a complete catastrophe. Okay, I, I admit. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we don't know, right? I mean, he's only started thirteen games, so what the hell do we know? Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that. The upside there and if you if you structure the offense the right way if you if you sort of bring him along at the right pace and I think they have the coach who can do that to be clear then I think you know the the potential is really limitless and I will tell you right now I know this for a fact they really like Anthony Richardson they are quite interested in him that is not rumor that's true and and they have they've spent a lot of time investigating Anthony Richardson and whether he would be a fit. So I actually think that could be the guy. Um, and so I, I don't see the, the trade down for me. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know that you have, I, I think even if you've got a great player at another position, if you're the Colts, you can get a great player at another position and that would be wonderful. Right. I mean, an elite player pro bowl level say, and if your quarterback play is still dismal, how much progress have you made? None. In in, in the grand scheme, right? And so I just don't see how it helps them uh, get where they want to go and truly, meaningfully move the needle.
0: Stephen Holder joins us, covers the Colts for ESPN. If you look at Chris Ballard in free agency, he hasn't exactly been a gunslinger, right? We talk about gunslinging quarterbacks, hasn't been a gunslinging GM. Some say he needs to evolve. What do you think, Stephen, makes the most sense this specific offseason, considering the Colts' needs and also the free agents that are available?
4: I mean, I I have said that, and I, I wrote this. I wrote about this the other day on ESPN.com. I really think that it's it's an off season where you could argue he needs to loosen up a little bit, it, and, and partly because he is. I know I, I, I mentioned earlier that he's not likely to be fired necessarily unless it's some catastrophe this year. But but I do think he's under pressure, and I think for the for the long term to get the needle pointed in the right direction. Uh, or the arrow pointed in the right direction, I do think there is some benefit to to being a little more aggressive in free agency. Now, he has, I I talked about the the financial um, motivations there with the Lamar conversation. But there also is really a philosophical part of this for, for Chris Ballard. And he really, really believes what he says about, about wanting to build a team internally. And, and that's fine. I, I think that's good. And they have drafted well. I know people can talk about some of the misses. They have drafted very, very well and consistently well. The problem is they have not hit at some important positions. So that's really the issue when you talk about the draft. I think it, it, it makes – if you aren't going to correct your mistakes, because that's really what free agency is for. It's to fill in your holes. If you're not going to fill your holes in free agency, then you're going to be a team with holes. And I think last year, I believe, really emphasized that. Now, look at last year free agency. Um, uh, take a guy like Stefan Gilmore. Uh, look at the impact he had. That was a, a huge impact. I don't think we gave him enough credit for how he played last year. He was on a really bad football team. I get that. But he played great. And to a lesser extent, you had, or, or just a slightly different manner, you had Yannick Ngakwe. Now, that was a trade, but I'm just showing how an – how an offseason acquisition can make an immediate impact. Now, granted, he has some weaknesses in his game, but they're not going to give back the 10 sacks, right? I mean, so, so I do think you can make a concerted difference by filling in areas. I mean, those two areas that we had concerns, right? Cornerback and defensive end. And both those players made a, a pretty uh, concerted difference for the Colts.
2: Steven, last thing on my end, you've already mentioned it a little bit. Uh, you had a tweet earlier today, Bobby Okereke likely to get a payday elsewhere when you're tracking free agency. And as we get closer and closer to moving on from the tampering period and ultimately when these contracts go official, uh, where do you rank the importance of, of in-house decision the Colts could have to make with their free agents?
4: Yeah, I, I think the Ngakwe decision is interesting because, you know, under Matt Eberflus he would never be here. <laughs> but I, I think that the run defense is just too important to him. Now, Gus Bradley was willing to bend the rules. Was willing to bend a little on that, and and that's why he he likes Ngakwe. So he's got a big advocate in the building. He he's not everybody's cup of tea. So I'm interested to see what happens there. What is his market? And if his market is not really strong, uh, can the Colts get him at a discount? Maybe that that's possible. I mean, he's been on five different teams, and I think that. Is, is kind of telling. Uh, so the other guy for me is Okereke. He's, he's the other big ticket name. I just, I don't know. I just think for the Colts, they have drafted well at linebacker and have proven that they can find uh, and develop guys at that position. They've done it well every year. Zaire Franklin's a great example of what the emergence that he had last year. So I, I think that someone's going to overpay him uh, more than the culture willing, and I think that means we have seen the last of him. And then, really, for the rest of the team, there's guys like Rodney McLeod. Uh, Rodney has to decide if he's truly in for next year. I know there was some decision on his part. He's played 11 years. Does he want to play again? Uh, and if he does, does he come back here? Things like that. So there's some some pieces, some smaller pieces, though that are also critical to the bigger picture, and they'll have to make some decisions on those guys.
0: You know, Steve, you got this covered by all angles, man. You're doing a great job. I'm just curious <laughs> what right. you do to unwind. You know, when you're done talking about Rodney McCloud, what do you do to clear your head over there?
4: <laughs> well, I mean, i got to keep a, a, a significant amount of whiskey on hand, for sure, <laughs> or bourbon, right. I should say, and, uh, and the occasional cigar. So that keeps me sane.
0: <laughs> there you go, man. Well, hey, whatever works for you, keep doing it, man. But we appreciate the time today. Hope you have a good rest of the day, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. All right, you guys, talk soon. All right, for sure. There he is, Stephen Holder, covers the Colts for ESPN. Bourbon and cigars.